This episode of Wasteland may contain mature themes, profanity, and descriptions of sex, graphic violence, and criminal activity. Listener discretion is advised. July 23, 1973, was not a good day for George von Hilsheimer or for the Green Valley School, which was at that point teetering on the brink of complete dissolution. The Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations had been convened to get to the bottom of what looked like a massive misappropriation of funds perpetrated by the Civilian Health and Medical Program of the Uniformed Services, CHAMPUS, and funneled to unaccredited institutions like Green Valley. On July 23rd, the first day of the hearings, the committee heard from their own investigator, John Walsh, the former head of nursing at Green Valley, Esther Snow, another former Green Valley nurse, Ruth Rogers, and Assistant State Attorney John Upchurch, among several others. The prevailing takeaway was that the staff of Green Valley had allegedly engaged in systematic abuse of its charges, students who were tagged, disturbed, or mentally deficient in some way, and been charged a hefty price tag for their room, board, and therapy. A large portion of this cost was picked up by Champus, i.e. the American taxpayer. Green Valley had allegedly done this without an official accreditation from the state of Florida, which is to say that the facility was not legally recognized as a school. But it was Mrs. Snow's testimony that seemed to stoke the outrage of the committee. She detailed a level of abuse and careless experimentation on the students by the Green Valley faculty that bordered on the unthinkable. She stated that non-qualified personnel administered controversial therapies like carbon dioxide inhalation and electroshock. She detailed dangerous punishments that included students who had attempted suicide being forced to dig their own graves to sleep in, students being banished to Scrub Island, a small piece of land in a nearby river, without proper supplies or protection, and students isolated in a windowless structure nicknamed the bomb shelter for days and sometimes weeks at a time. Mrs. Snow described roach-infested sleeping quarters, filthy conditions, and a lack of supervision and structure that allowed the students to engage in rampant sex and drug abuse. Mrs. Snow's statements were corroborated by Ruth Rogers, as well as Assistant State Attorney Upchurch. It was Upchurch who relayed the results of several interviews with former Green Valley employees and students, Ross Michael Cochran among them. Each of these interviews described abusive and filthy conditions, and in the case of Cochran and another student, Peter Zakharuski, literal imprisonment. Zakharuski claimed to have been chained to a railing on the Green Valley campus for several days before he was able to escape. Cochran claimed to have been locked in the bomb shelter at least 25 times, shackled in leg irons, and sent to Scrub Island before he escaped the school as well. The second day of the hearings commenced on July 24th. John Walsh was called again to speak on the financial discrepancies he had uncovered while investigating Green Valley and Champus. A supervisory auditor from the Defense Department's General Accounting Office named Arthur Mitchell was also called. It was then that Green Valley's superintendent, George von Hilsheimer, was called before the committee. As has already been detailed, von Hilsheimer had a reputation for being outspoken. 
Almost immediately, he began to deliver a prepared statement to the committee and was cut off by Senator Jackson. The statement had been reproduced and distributed to the press and everyone present at the hearing. Chairman Jackson addressed Von Hilsheimer. This could go on for a couple of hours. I just wonder if you couldn't shorten this some to avoid repetition and redundancy. Von Hilsheimer responded, Four and a half hours of hearsay was heard yesterday. I was characterized yesterday as a Hitler, my wife as Ilse Koch, my school as Buchenwald. I request this committee to give me the right to speak and let the committee evaluate. It was a grandiose response, but one that seemed in character with Von Hilsheimer's idealism and reputation as a firebrand. I have drawn no salary since 1959, Von Hilsheimer said. When he was asked how he was able to live and support his family on such a small amount of money, he responded, I live at the school caring for children as part of my job and responsibility. My job description requires me to eat with the children, to live with the children, to give them protection in the evening. I received for a number of years $2.50 a week, for a number of other years $5 a week, and for the past three or four years, I have been receiving $7.50 a week, most of which I have returned to the school. My wife and I during the last seven months lived at Green Valley School, lived in one single room in a four-bedroom house with a disturbed girl, with a schizophrenic boy and girl, and two drug addicts. I think the pressures of that kind of work justify the delivery of a small room in my board since I was required to prepare food for these children. The bottom line Von Hilsheimer described was that Champus was, in fact, solely responsible for the financial discrepancies. He also claimed that Champus was prejudiced against Green Valley and had dissuaded the families of prospective students from enrolling there, showing them folders of defamatory literature about the school. Von Hilsheimer then began to address the more concerning details that had been produced by Esther Snow and Ruth Rogers during the previous day's testimony. The medical program at Green Valley School has been severely criticized both by two nurses who were fired from staff with prejudice, and it has been criticized by a doctor who has never been there and has been shown selected files and selected information. Von Hilsheimer disputed claims that all students were receiving allergy serums, some of which were the mixtures of dust and urine, respectively as well as that all female students were receiving birth control, calling these claims lies. He did admit that all children at Green Valley received large doses of vitamins, though that students were not punished if they chose not to take them. He also clarified that the CO2 therapy consisted of a prepared dose of gas that was 95% oxygen and only 5% CO2, terming it oxygen therapy. Von Hilsheimer continued, The word torture has been bandied about with great freedom by the subcommittee staff, the press has been told that bull shockers have been used on our students. I have brought to the hearing two standard electric stimulators, which are regularly used to establish pain thresholds in the students. Some classical conditioning and avoidance conditioning methods are used for evaluation purposes as well. Many of the younger children call these tickle boxes. I had one child, his parent can document this, who wanted to take this home with him and have it every morning so he could wake himself up with the stimulation. In the box of exhibits brought before you in such an elaborate and dramatic way, there was no bullshocker. There is no torture at Green Valley School. There has been none, and this charge has been uttered again and again on the principle of the gigantic lie told often enough. Green Valley for years has stood for gentle, loving, non-punitive, alternative methods of correction. These facts have been documented again and again by parents who have visited freely, frequently, and by scores of professionals and college students who have studied the school and its program thoroughly. When asked about the bomb shelter, Von Hilsheimer responded at length, We have been accused of keeping children in solitary confinement. 
Throughout the years, there has been only one relatively secure facility on the campus. This is a blockhouse structure, which was there when we bought the place. It is well lighted, with four double bulb fluorescent fixtures, supplied with running water and toilet, ventilated, and has never been able to contain a determined adolescent, nor have we tried to make it that secure. We haven't tried to hide it. It has been evaluated and inspected by the health department for many, many years. When the destruction to it is made by children, they have been billed, as your investigators know. It has been used as living quarters for a few highly destructive children, not locked and with constant adult supervision. In these cases, someone is with the child at all times. It has been used as a dry-out room for adolescents found drunk on booze, glue, gas, or drugs. Very seldom has a teenager been placed here alone, and never for more than several days. Von Hilsheimer went on to introduce nine former students and former employees of Green Valley who were in attendance at the hearing. People, he said, would be willing to come forward and testify that the statements made about the school were patently false. After a recess, the testimony turned toward Mrs. Esther Snow. Von Hilsheimer stated, Every nurse who was on duty when Mrs. Snow was hired resigned, saying they could not work with the woman because she was emotionally unstable, too rigid, too authoritarian. Mrs. Snow engaged in a long dispute with the executive committee over a number of non-medical issues, and a crisis was reached when Mrs. Snow insisted a black maid, whom the executive committee wanted trained as a nurse's aide, should remain a maid. Chairman Jackson then addressed Von Hilsheimer. May I just say that we have been going now over an hour and a half without interruption. I wonder how long it's going to take for you to finish so we can ask some questions. After a second recess, the committee began pointedly reading Esther Snow's testimony, asking Von Hilsheimer to respond to her allegations. On the matter of Von Hilsheimer giving written and oral orders to Snow about medical procedures, Von Hilsheimer responded, false. On the matter of students sleeping on urine-stained sheets and mattresses, Absolutely and unequivocally false, he continued. The records of the Daytona Linen Supply show we had a regular supply of linen, that they were supplied to the kids. Cleanliness did occur. On the matter of mental and emotional disorder treatment via megavitamins, fasting, and CO2 therapy, that statement is too complicated to answer. Simply, however, in general, it's false. On the matter of the three students involved in the medical dome break-in who were allegedly interrogated by Headmaster Nowicki, since it relates to Mr. Nowicki, I can't answer it. Mr. Nowicki had no bull shocker to my knowledge. There was none on the campus to my knowledge. On the matter of the shackling and restraining of students, especially the three chained students brought to the medical dome by employee Martin Hode, I have no personal knowledge of it directly. I made an intensive inquiry. I do not believe it to be true. On the matter of electronic stimulation, Von Hilsheimer described using low-voltage shocks combined with images of problem behavior, specifically in a homosexual student, to condition the recipient to change their behavior. What qualified you to give instructions in use of this kind of treatment? Chairman Jackson asked. Years of attending meetings, Von Hilsheimer responded. On the matter of fasting, Von Hilsheimer testified that a particularly violent student was left in the bomb shelter for four days and given only distilled water. After his release, he was tested on single foods, such as corn and milk, to determine if the culprit of the child's behavior was a food allergy. Von Hilsheimer claimed that this drastic approach had only been used once in the 11 years of the school's operation. On the matter of placing a rifle in a student's mouth, alleged by former employee Bill Kelly, Von Hilsheimer described confronting the boy. I prepared an M1 rifle with a diffused bullet, which I double and triple checked myself. I said, do you really want to die? 
I slapped the rifle in his hand and said, if you want to die, go ahead and pull the trigger. I think this confrontation with death was extremely important for him. On the matter of burials as therapy, it sounds bizarre and strange. I think in context, it makes sense. Again, I insist having it four times in the 11 years, it is not a consistent pattern. It's not the kind of thing you could use as a deliberate policy all of the time. On the matter of Green Valley's guarantee that their students will be accepted to college or receive a refund, he said, we have never had to make a refund. Von Hilsheimer's testimony continued throughout the day until finally the last person was called before the committee, Green Valley's headmaster, Ronald Nowicki. The committee began by inquiring about Nowicki's alleged interrogation of the students who had broken into the medical dome. Mrs. Snow testified that Nowicki told her he had used the bull shocker to elicit the confession. Nowicki admitted that he had made that statement, but that it wasn't a true statement. He claimed that Von Hilsheimer had left the device with him and that he kept the batteries separate from the device. When the students were rounded up after the break-in, Nowicki testified that he threatened to shock the student if the student didn't tell him where the stolen drugs and medical supplies were. He stated that he threatened to shock the offending student's hands, but just the threat was enough to elicit a confession. Nowicki stated that he didn't recall the incident with Peter Zakharuski, only the resulting litigation where Green Valley awarded the former student $4,500 in damages. He denied ever beating a student with his fists or using a bull shocker. He did admit to two instances of slapping students, including one where he struck a female student who insulted his wife. The blow perforated the student's eardrum. Questions about electronic conditioning were then posed to Nowicki, who stated that even though he administered these treatments, he admitted to not being trained in their application and was ignorant of the voltage and how often they were used. He estimated somewhere between 10 and 50 times a month on certain students. It should be no surprise that, although Green Valley was still operational at the time of the hearings, it ceased those operations shortly after the summer of 1974. The charges against the Reverend George von Hilsheimer for operating without a medical license were dropped when it was determined that the search warrant for Green Valley School was incomplete and unsigned. The criminal charges of false imprisonment against Headmaster Ronald Nowicki were also dropped due to a civil suit filed on behalf of Peter Zakharuski. No other charges were brought against the staff, all of whom have now faded into obscurity, save for von Hilsheimer himself, who was once again arrested in 1992 for practicing medicine without a license. Still, with a gap of 50 years, it's difficult to determine what really happened at Green Valley School. The school's methods can be boiled down into two categories. Either the treatment of the students was sadistic and calculated abuse to achieve some unknown end, or it was that outdated, long-abandoned, careless, and dangerous form of child-rearing known as tough love. Or it was both. What is known now about the psychology of children was simply not known in the 1960s and 70s. It seems that the attempts made at Green Valley were, at the very least, originally conceived with the best of intentions. However, the staff's methods were crude, and in many cases, undoubtedly produced lifelong damage and trauma. The facility just wasn't equipped to handle the influx of children, nor their various emotional and psychological needs. They couldn't deliver the solutions that they had promised. It just wasn't that simple. Whatever George von Hilsheimer hoped to achieve with his radical approach to healthcare and education, he failed. 
Still, present at the hearings of 1974 were a good number of people ready to testify to the efficacy of his methods. These were families who felt as if Von Hilsheimer had returned their problem child back to them with their original undisturbed state of mind once again intact. But the experiences described by many former employees and students of Green Valley paint a much different picture. And even if there were some success stories, they must be weighed against the large number of failures. Was George von Hilsheimer an intentional abuser? Not necessarily. Based on the testimony from the 1974 hearings, it seems that he may have hired some intentional abusers. He may have been a bloviating speaker, one who seemed quite proud of and vocal about his efforts in the realms of social justice and education. He may have even helped some of the same children that he hurt or allowed to be hurt. To be sure, Green Valley would never exist today. It would be characterized as a torture chamber, a concentration camp. But it doesn't appear to have been founded for that purpose. Quite the opposite, in fact. The school was a flawed attempt at using a flawed approach to better the lives of young people who themselves were regarded by society as flawed. And though much of the testimony covered in the 1974 hearings would lead one to believe that George von Hilsheimer was a monster, when he died on March 8th of 2013, he was the subject of numerous glowing online remembrances. From Richard Siegel I was a student at Green Valley from September 66 to September 69, with sporadic visits after that. George was always good to me and helped me to grow into a man. After my mother passed away, he allowed me to remain at the school tuition-free. While at the school, he often frightened me, occasionally amused me, and always inspired me. I will always cherish his memory and still to this day reflect on things I learned from him. From Reverend Riley Edwards I spent a year as staff member of Green Valley School from 1971 to 72. Six months of that time, I lived out on the Holly Bluff Marina with George and his family, so I got to know him fairly well. The relationship was very positive for me. George believed in others and helped them to believe in themselves. I emerged from that year a stronger person and have always valued the time I spent at Green Valley. From Stuart Duffy, My memories of George are somewhat few and far between as we rarely had one-on-one contact with each other back in the day. But my memories of what he created in Green Valley School will always be wonderful. They will be with me forever. My health took a turn for the better because of Green Valley and what was done for me. From Tom Tucker, I was a staff member at Green Valley School for three years in the 70s. It was where I found my bearings. Many times George taught me, some of those experiences were unpleasant. But the memories of Green Valley have been some of my strongest and fondest guides. For that, I'm grateful. When trauma is inflicted on someone, it can sometimes take decades to manifest. Perhaps even some of Von Hilsheimer's success stories took a turn later in life, realizing that they had suffered abuse at the hands of a trusted adult, even if the abuse might have been unintentional or committed because of idealistic reasons. Trauma can also be weaponized, and when someone experiences it, their coping mechanism can sometimes be to inflict it on someone else, oftentimes on someone who's experienced something just as terrible and horrifying as they have. It could be concluded that Ross Michael Cochran late victim of the so-called witchcraft murder of 1973, and Ken Francis, one of the perpetrators of that crime, were much more alike than probably either of them would have liked to admit. But on April 27, 1973, Mike had been restrained, beat, cut, stabbed, placed on a makeshift altar, 
and whipped with chains before being carried into the woods and bludgeoned to death with a tree branch. So while the lengthy drama of Green Valley began to play out concurrently, in the summer of 1973, the case of what the papers were now calling the Satan cult slaying finally began to get underway. This episode of Wasteland was researched, written, produced, recorded, edited, and in some areas, scored by me, Michael Paul Anthony. If you'd like to contact the show, the email address is wastelandpodfl at gmail.com. I want to thank you for listening, and if you like what you heard, please share it with a friend. Until next time.